Chapter Seventeen of Doxy Dent by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Delicate negotiations. Now, so direct and undisguised a censure as that involved in Sam's last words would ordinarily have aroused Jabe's resentment. However, he was too much in earnest just now to stand upon trifles so after sitting and staring at his companion with puckered brow and pursed-out lips for several moments he got up and stepped into the parlour to make sure that doxy was out having satisfied himself on that point he came back and holding the door in his hand beckoned sam to follow him into the next room then he fetched out some wonderful tobacco which had been given to him by his leather merchant and compelling his friend to empty his pipe and fill it with the non-such weed, he leaned back in his chair, and said with unwanted geniality, "'Ah, lad, there's some glint of sense in this sometimes. Go on with the nominee.' Basking in the warmth of a most unusual and strictly temporary popularity, Sam expounded his great idea at full length, Jabe ticking off the salient points and the upshot of it all was that sam was to persuade young ben to make another and more serious attempt on doxy's affections and jabe undertook to pave the way for him as best he could with the girl herself for the next few days the clogger and his lieutenant were almost inseparable never within the memory of the oldest frequenter of the clog shop had the two been so long and so suspiciously thick at the end of a week's time Sam reported that young Ben was quite ready to make a second attack upon Doxy, but that he stood in wholesome fear of the clogger. Sam therefore insisted that it was time for Jabe to step in himself and encourage the timid lover. The clogger was some time before he would consent to this, but upon Sam asking him for the fourth time if he had said anything to Doxy, he became suddenly very confused and hastily agreed to saddle Ben at once. But Sam was not content. The clogger was not doing his share of the work, and so his zealous assistant had to fall back on his most effective weapon, and point out once more how much easier the whole thing might have been if only Jabe had consented to this courtship before the arrival of the Australian letter. But Jabe had not neglected to sound Doxy on the question of the hour, out of mere cowardice. The fact was, he had discovered that she was very pensive and depressed, and as he knew of only one thing which was likely to have produced such a condition, he felt that this sorrow was of a sacred nature, and to disturb it by introducing so frivolous a subject as courting seemed to him a sort of sacrilege. Consequently, in spite of his repeated promises to Sam, he had neglected his part of the business, and even now was no more willing to discharge it than he had ever been. He determined, therefore, to follow his own devices, and to try his hand first of all with Ben. It was some days before Jabe found an opportunity that suited him, and Sam was getting out of all patience. On the third Sunday after the arrival of the Australian letter, however, he stayed at home from Sunday school, and knowing that Ben as librarian would be going late, he lay in wait for him, and as soon as he saw him coming up the brew, stepped to the front door and beckoned the young fellow into the house. Ben came somewhat sheepishly, and as the clogger looked sternness itself, the youth stopped on the doormat and asked somewhat sulkily what he wanted. Shut that door and I'll tell thee. 
Ben did as he was told, and as he came forward, Jay pointed without speaking to a chair. The clogger puffed out two or three great clouds of smoke, and then, removing the pipe from his mouth and looking sternly at Ben, he said in tones of serious but not angry expostulation, "'Doesn't thou know as it's wrong to go a flirting and sniffing after young wenches?' "'Wrong? Why is it wrong?' And Ben began to look defiant. "'Way, cause it fills their heads wi' o' mac o' rubbish and breaks their hurts, that's way. And then, after a short pause, he went on. "'Specially when you're no but gammonin'. "'Gammonin'? But I'm no gammonin'. "'I mean it greatly.' And Jabe leaned indolently back in his chair and murmured, "'Aye, who've oh, heard that tale afore? "'But I am. I tell you. "'I mean it greatly.' A long pause followed, during which the clogger had the air of a man who would like to believe what he had heard, but his knowledge of the wiles of human nature made it impossible. Meanwhile, young Ben was feeling his courage rise, and getting prepared for a serious tussle. At length, Jay looked round, and eyed Ben over very curiously, and presently he asked, "'Does the mean to say as I want to wed our doxy?' And Ben, flinging prudence to the winds, answered promptly, "'Well, you give me the chance and you'll see.' Jabe shook his head slowly, as if to say that he had heard too many declarations of that kind to be deceived by them. But presently, after another long pause, he said musingly, "'Well, they were allus a decent lad, Ben. That's right enough.' And then he hesitated, in most artistic pretense of wavering. But the young lover had another remembrance just then, and so, with a wry face and a sulky tone, he said, "'What's the use of talking?' They win army. Jabe appeared to be so utterly lost in his own meditations that he did not seem to have heard this depressing announcement, and he went on slowly. Oh, I dunno want part with that wench, but if you has to go, that happen met as we'll have her as anybody else, for out o' no. But to win army, I tell ye, of Axter. Now this was news to Jabe, and for the moment he was tempted to break out on the audacious young wooer but remembering his cue, he turned with a look of mild surprise, and demanded, "'Well, but there isn't been stopped with a wenches now, surely. If a young felly wants a wench, and doesn't get her, it's his fault, not hers.' "'Aye, it's easy talking.' But though his tone was sulky enough, his manner showed that Ben was encouraged. The clogger smoked on for a while, and then, dropping his deliberate tone, he leaned forward, and, looking at Ben with a scowl of conviction, cried, "'See thee, Ben, there's a hundred pound and a four-roomed ass for the chapper's weds that wench.' Ben looked as though he scarcely knew what to either say or do. So presently he lifted his head and asked, "'Well, will you put a word in for me?' And Jabe, with a majestic wave of his hand, intended as a dismissal, answered, "'Ah, was promised now to bart it?' away with thee and get thee work done that same night doxy had to listen to a second proposal from the young carpenter it was couched in much the same terms as the former one and consisted mainly of a description of his prospects present and future with certain obscure hints about other more or less contingent advantages 
the results of course of his conversation with the clogger doxy listened with most misleading patience for the fact was she was so distraught and preoccupied that even an offer of marriage did not greatly interest her she was very kind to ben yet very decided refusing even to give him any hope for the future and he left her feeling much discouraged and somewhat puzzled for his doting mother had always taught him to believe that no female at all likely for him would think of refusing him whilst ben was struggling with his unpropitious courtship in beckside his twin brother andrew was being exercised in his mind about the same fair girl he too had heard of the projected emigration and was astonished and alarmed to discover how much it disturbed him he was exceedingly busy just then for the relations between masters and men in the spinning trade were in a somewhat anxious state and kept him incessantly on the strain but day in and day out his thoughts constantly reverted to doxy and do what he might he could not escape them he had never been in this condition before he had a strong will and the instincts and habits of a strong nature and so far in his life he had found out what he wanted to do and had done it after years of dreaming and working he had obtained what he desired and was doing the work he most liked but just when this in itself was more than commonly difficult he was paralysed in his efforts by most distracting opposition of interests and his heart pulling him one way and his ambition and will the other andrew's removal to beckbottom some four and a half years ago had been unexpectedly the turning point in his life and his rejection by jabe when he desired to reunite himself with the church had assisted the same end beckbottom was a mile or more from the village and andrew was always fond of reading he had therefore dropped into the way of spending his nights at his sister's fireside in the companionship of books and all the rest had sprung out of that as he read anything that interested him and had nobody to guide him he somehow drifted into the reading of works of history and from these passed on to modern politics and subjects pertaining to the well-being of the masses of his fellow-men coming into contact with several free thinkers he was led to read somewhat dangerous books but as the habit of argument had grown with his reading tastes he soon began to select his authors and more by luck than anything else drifted into wholesome literary paths then he began to form his own life plans he taught himself shorthand and cultivated the art of composition and though he had by this time entirely lost the habit of going to chapel he took comparatively long journeys on foot to hear famous public men and attended nearly every serious lecture he could hear of he joined a debating and political club at the halfpenny gate and it was here that he first came into contact with the uncanny eli slowly as the time wore on andrew grew up a lonely thoughtful and somewhat opinionated young fellow using every moment of his spare time in careful self-improvement about twelve months before the time of which we write he had joined the minders association and his abilities especially of speech had obtained for him a very prominent position amongst local men and it was only in the natural order of things that when a vacancy arose he should be appointed to the secretaryship andrew wanted to be a public man and to be able to influence and lead his fellow-men the pursuits in which his fellows sought their happiness had no attractions for him 
and he had all the fine scorn of noble but unsophisticated youth for mere money-making he was too clear-headed to embrace extreme views however and was so cool and self-reliant that he easily commanded attention the ardour with which he had pursued his purposes had fortunately left him very little time for getting into mischief and he came to manhood as free from taint of a serious kind as most young men with far happier surroundings andrew's attitude towards his relatives perhaps showed his character and strength of mind as much as anything he had yet done he did not in the least blame them but took their suspicions of him as matters of course and seemed content to wait for the day coming when they would find out what he really was of late his plans had succeeded beyond his best hopes he was on the high road to what he had at any rate regarded as a success and lo the whole situation was suddenly complicated by the distressing discovery that against his will and in spite of his efforts he was in love with doxy dent he scoffed at himself argued with himself tried to trick himself but all in vain and he soon became perfectly well aware that the first opportunity would take him to beckside to try his luck at last he made up his mind that he would end the matter by a little experiment he would go to beckside the very first opportunity and perhaps when he actually saw doxy the longing he felt would be relieved and he would not want to propose to her but even if he did he had such a dreadful character in his native village that she would not accept him and so the thing would settle itself that way he saw clearly enough the miserable weakness of the argument but what could he do and as luck would have it that very post brought him a letter from leah inviting him to come and spend the weekend at his old lodgings andrew did not believe in providence at any rate not in this particular kind of providence but still he allowed himself to think that it was odd that the letter should come just at that juncture and in a few moments he had settled that he would go down on the saturday afternoon and see now leah when she heard of doxy's probable emigration had at once abandoned all her little plans for bringing her brother and her fair young friend together and had given herself up to mournful little wonderings as to what she would do when the only female confidant she had was gone as the days wore by however she was compelled to notice the growing pensiveness of doxy and as it continued she could not help suspecting that there must be some reason for her unusual and continued depression it did not take long for her to guess that at least it might be an affair of the heart but she had never seen anything and doxy was the soul of openness so that she was utterly perplexed and in all her musings and speculations it never occurred to her to connect her brother with the matter then it struck her that doxy might in reality be regretting going abroad for general reasons and if so and she could get andrew to propose that might alter everything and be welcome to doxy as a means of escape from something she did not care for leah was glad therefore when andrew wrote to say that he would accept her invitation and her next anxiety was how she could bring the two young folk together End of chapter 17